0: Welcome to Advancing the Agenda. I'm your host, Michael Abramson. Today, we will be continuing our series of interviewing Republican candidates seeking the nomination in the U.S. Congressional race in the 6th District of Georgia. Today, our guest is Byron Gatewood. Byron is a career Army officer, a small business owner, a devout Christian, a dedicated husband, and a devoted father. As a college student, Byron enlisted in the National Guard in the wake of the September 11th attack and was soon deployed to Afghanistan during what would have been his junior year. By the time he did graduate from Louisiana State University, he had earned a commission onto active duty. Byron and his wife Ashley then built a family one duty station at a time. Byron served as a military intelligence officer at a number of posts and locations in the US and abroad. His overseas assignments included not only combat tours, but also operations working in support of NATO missions in Central and Eastern Europe, as well as in Turkey, helping our allies observe and contain the Syrian civil war. He also worked closely with our partners in the Israel Defense Forces and was involved in the planning and rollout of critical air defense assets in the region. While on active duty, Byron attended graduate school at the University of Oklahoma, where he earned a Master of Arts in International Relations and Foreign Policy. After leaving full-time service, Byron attended Cornell University and earned an MBA in 2017. He and Ashley then settled in Georgia with their three young children. After a foray into investment banking, Byron's entrepreneurial spirit took over and he embarked on a series of personal business challenges. He currently owns two small businesses, a gym and a travel agency, in industries that were particularly hurt hurt by the pandemic. The experience of running businesses, keeping them afloat, and rebuilding demonstrates the indispensable insight policymakers must have in a post-pandemic America. Byron is also the managing director of Ventures ATL. An Atlanta based nonprofit established to create jobs for adults on the autism spectrum. The organization teams with corporations in the Atlanta area and throughout the country to provide data management services as a third party contractor. Since joining Ventures ATL in 2020, Byron has been instrumental in generating revenue and creating new jobs. Finally, Byron is still serving in the U.S. Army Reserves and he holds the rank of Major. He also holds a top-secret security clearance and has surpassed 19 years of service as of July 2021. A longtime Republican and a true conservative, Byron's interest in politics dates back to second grade when his mom let him stay up late to watch the Bush-Dukakis presidential debates in 1988. His firmly held belief that our system can only work when those in government understand government is about serving the nation and not just themselves. Byron's career of service bears witness to the simple truth. Byron will continue to pursue the principles that have guided him thus far. Byron, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we are excited to to speak with you. So my first question for you, I, I ask all the candidates is, why are you running for office? To, so
1: we have gotten to a point where we have so many things to fix. There's so much to correct. We've gotten so far from the promise of limited government. We need, we need fixers. We need leaders. We need people who aren't afraid to stand in the breach and, and fight for what's right. You know, I think, uh, I, I firmly believe, actually, I don't think, I believe, that we're at a, a real inflection point. You know, you look at our foreign policy, and I know we're gonna talk about a lot of things individually, but you look at our foreign policy, you look at our national security and border issues, you look at the domestic strife, race relations, inflation, all of the things that are happening and just crashing down around us right now, we need to fix this. And, and we don't just need to take Congress back with people who have an R by their name. We need conservative values, we need thoughtful leaders and, and folks in the seat who are going to get us back on the right track.
0: Uh, the, certainly, the, the candidate who wins is going to have a, definitely a full plate. Uh, what do you feel are your, your qualifications and greatest strengths? So 100%, uh, I
1: want to lean on training and execution. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is for me the the confluence of my my real world experiences and my formal education. You touched on some of that in the intro there. I appreciate you you reading a, a full bio there on me. But uh, if we look at, you know, I'll, I'll split it into, into foreign policy military category and then kind of the domestic category. I I worked abroad. I was an intelligence officer on active duty in. Central and Eastern Europe, worked really closely with our partners there, worked really closely with, with our friends in Israel. At the same time, I was an active agent of American foreign policy. I was also studying international relations and foreign policy as an academic. And so I have you know, an earned understanding uh, by virtue of you know, academic exploits and real world experience in the field that's rare. You know, that's that's just it's rare in dc it's rare everywhere i believe and and then you know on the domestic front the 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 cornell mba you know the the education and economics and, and finance and then taking that into the world of investment banking working in large transactions and advising you know fortune 500 fortune 100 companies on 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 their on growth strategy seeing that side of the economy from the multi-multi-billion-dollar company level, and then as a small business owner, fighting back against government overreach and ridiculous mandates and competing to try to keep employees as the government was trying to pay my people to stay home. All of that experience, along with the educational background, I think makes me, you know, just sets me up really, really well to be effective in policy making from day one. And then, and certainly my greatest strength, and, and I'll touch on something here that's really important to me, my greatest strength as a leader, and I believe my, my greatest strength as a legislator is my faith. You know, I'm a I'm a true believer who knows that God's power is is made perfect in in my weakness. That's Second Corinthians, I think, chapter 12. But but my conservatism, my conservative values are rooted in my faith, and, and biblical conservatives are strong conservatives.
0: Well, we've touched, you touched upon your, your professional background and what you're bringing from that. Um, can you speak a little bit about your, your volunteer background? I'd want to get into it a little more in detail later, but if you could sort of give us sort of a highlight of, of skills that you bring from that. Sure. I, the most
1: pertinent example of, of me volunteering, I guess, is when I, I, I raised my hand and, and said, you know, here I am, Uncle Sam, send me, you know, and, and, and that was really the the moment where I became an adult between September 11th and actually enlisting. I, I really, I I grew up and became a man. I was a college student at that point, but I have and I you know at certain points it's awkward to talk about, but I've had those moments where fear set in and, and I had to be brave or you know I, I put it on the line a few different times and in you know a firefight or a, a sticky situation. and I, I realize how fortunate I am, how blessed I am to have come out on top of those situations. But overall, if I look at the the totality of my nearly 20 years of military service, raising my hand that one time and volunteering and stepping up. I have gotten so much more out of that. You know, the army has educated me. The army grew me up. The army gave me a great life. I have seen the world and built a family as, as part of the army and, and had a great experience through that. And so I think that's probably the story of volunteering is if you, if you put yourself out there in the right way, the benefits of signing up to be some a part of something that's bigger than you far outweigh the costs.
0: Okay, well, great. Um, we we don't know who your opponent is going to be, but can you speak with me about the Democrats and, and their performance or lack thereof, as the case may be? <laughs> as the case may be, yeah.
1: So you know, obviously, when when I got into the race, the district looked one way and. I was, I was ready to face off against Lucy McBath. Uh, I, at that point, I felt like the key to victory was credibility, messaging, and displaying real, honest, conservative values. Now the district looks very different. I still believe the key to victory is credibility, messaging, and displaying real, honest, conservative values. Uh, but in terms of what Democrats are doing and how effective they are, I would love I'm a team player and I would love to build that bridge and be that bipartisan guy who pointed at, you know, oh, this is one place where we can build consensus and we can we can work with the Democrats because they're doing a good job at X. Unfortunately, X equals zero. I'm a math guy. There's nothing. You know, there's just nothing. Inflation is out of control Spending is a joke to these people. The border is a travesty. And it's a travesty that's completely, that's a self inflicted wound, completely. They just, Joe Biden has taken an effective border policy, scrapped it in favor of having no policy at all. And if you don't have a policy on something as critical as the border, that's your policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, irrespective of, of you know, people, I think, smart people can disagree on what our role in afghanistan should be after 20 years but every intellectually honest person who saw that withdrawal you know was embarrassed you know the only thing that joe biden has made great again is the taliban the taliban is richer and more powerful than they've ever been with brand new well-maintained sophisticated american equipment we created a vacuum that china is perfectly willing to fill there's nothing good about what joe biden has done race relations in america are at like a 50-year low with with the the blaming and the critical race theory and all of the all of the the stuff flying around and the rhetoric from that there's nothing there's nothing good about the biden administration sorry you get fired up there we're just getting started but yeah it's 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 a nightmare.
0: Uh, I want to want to cover your positions on various issues, and I want to give you the general topic. and It'd be great if you could just discuss the importance of the topic and sort of mm-hmm. what your plans are to address it. And we're going to cover Absolutely. we're going to cover seven areas. So, so, topic number one is America's economy, and I was wondering if you could specifically talk about inflation and the supply chain crisis.
1: Absolutely. So, inflation is you know one of the obviously one of the most stark examples of the failure of the Biden administration at this point. And, and it's impacting people in, I think more ways than are immediately evident. You know, you go to the grocery store and everything costs more gas costs more and so on, but people's savings are worth less. You know, you still maybe have the same amount of money tucked away in your 401k, but it's worth less. And as folks are planning for retirement or getting ready to send the kids to college or are getting ready to build or buy a house or start a business, whatever they're doing, now you have have less buying power for your retirement. And so inflation is a a critical challenge for us. We have to stop printing money. We have to stop injecting money into an overheating economy. You got to stop spending, period on things we don't need the budget needs to be cut across the board That's at every level our budget can be cut and for starters things like the department of education disband evaporate sell it for parts you know and and on down the the number of government agencies that could be reduced to nothing or nearly nothing or combined as redundant cutting the budgets not as hard as it sounds and certainly not as hard as DC consistently makes it sound like these are, there are so many sacred cows that people are afraid to to go in there and get. And I will not be afraid of those things. Okay. Um, and then, and then you, you asked about the supply chain crisis. This is one that I, I'm not the primary grocery store shopper in my family, but occasionally I do wander in to the supermarket and to see to to walk down the aisle and see a situation where there's a national shortage of Gatorade, what are we? I mean, are we in Venezuela? Like, what even is that? And these again, this again is a self inflicted wound. You know, this is this is the the culmination of government overreach and blanket mandates and and a a lot of COVID double talk and double standards that is is shutting down parts of our economy that need not be shut down. And so instead of shutting down chunks of our economy that impact us as consumers and impact our daily lives, we need a a strong conservative Congress to shut down the Biden agenda.
0: Well, let's move to an economy-adjacent topic, and that's taxes. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are your opinions on what you would like to do with both the individual tax rate and the corporate tax rate? Uh, In short
1: taxes are almost always too high, you know, the, the tax cuts that we, that, that the the Trump administration passed should be made permanent. And, and then maybe, you know, once we cut the budget effectively, why stop there? You know, why, why I think the people who are best equipped to spend individuals money are the individuals themselves. If you want to help the economy, put more money in people's pockets. Uh, the corporate tax rate, again, before the the 2017 tax cut, the American corporate tax rate was among the highest in the world. And what did we see? You know, we saw corporate headquarters moving overseas, playing games with taxes. It cost us jobs. It cost us money. And and if we want to be competitive in a global economy, we need lower tax rates. And and even without saying global economy, if we want to do right. By the corporations and the businesses and the workers in our country,
0: stop taking their money. Um, so it seems like you're focused on both not only the spending that the government does, but also the the income that it comes in or the revenue that it takes from the individuals. Both absolutely, sides
1: I, absolutely. I think that I mean the government is a is a reckless spendthrift, and they do that with by doing two things: they spend with no regard for what comes next. And through coercion and the power of the state, they take money whenever they want from whoever they want, whether it's income tax, death tax, whatever, however the government gets your money, by the time you get a a quarterly dividend from a stock investment, or by the time you inherit Aunt Sally's money, that has been taxed so many times, it's criminal. You know, the, the, the dollars we earn are ours and every little bit that the government takes is it needs to be thoroughly justified. And, and right now, there's no effort to do that. And along the way, they just spend recklessly and with without regard for the future, or consequences.
0: Well, let's transition to some other government policy and government mandates. And let's talk about COVID-19. Uh, What you think the government has done, you know, sort of containing the disease, and specifically, if you could talk about vaccine mandates and mask mandates. So, yeah, I kind of, I personally have kind of split
1: the COVID-19 topic into a couple of uh, epochs or, or phases. One, when we didn't know exactly what we were facing, and a certain amount of, fear made sense and a certain amount of government strong advice made a lot of sense. And then we entered a phase where we did understand what we were facing and government mandates made absolutely no sense. And so, and and yet they kept coming, by the way. So as a, as a small business owner, you know, we were briefly shut down and this was my gym, and, and several other businesses, you know, Georgians were, were shut down and it was a couple of weeks, you know, and I worked with my landlord and got rent relief and it was, it was not good, but it was understandable and it was temporary from the beginning. And then we were back in business and we were up and running and, and so forth, but two years in, and we know that the virus isn't as deadly as folks feared that it was initially. And the new Omicron variant is even less deadly than the, the Delta or, or, you know, the, the previous versions. And yet the mandates are still out there. The, the government overreach is still there. And this is, a, you know, this is another instance of big government is not equipped to solve our problems. They're not good at it. They don't handle the nuance blanket mandates don't work. Uh, vaccine mandates and the threat of vaccine mandates have been a job killer. I I think I mentioned it a minute ago competing for entry level employees, getting folks to come into work when the government has been so willing to pay them to stay home has has crippled businesses like mine. It's you know, it's just a mess, you know. And then you look at the hypocrisy on a certain side of the government, the left um Stacy Abrams in a in a photo op at a, a school, I think it was in the cab, you mm-hmm. know, with a bunch of elementary kids who were under mask mandate. Thankfully, none of my kids go to schools that have, you know, mask mandates, but there she is in a room full of children masked up. And Stacey's not masked. She's smiling for the camera. So on top of all of the nonsense surrounding the mandates and and the the disregard for the facts and the disregard for the science behind you know what we're facing. Then you have the added hypocrisy of of do as I say, not as I do, and
0: it's just it's got to end. So if I could get just a brief sort of yes or no on the vaccine mandates and mask mandates, just so oh, I'm, I'm I'm anti-mandate. I am uh
1: yeah absolutely.
0: I am one hundred percent
1: anti-mandate.
0: Okay. Well, let's, let's shift from the vaccine and go to, I think, sort of a, a more local issue in the sense that mm-hmm. it's, it's happening every day in Atlanta, and that's crime. Um, we see it. Oh, in, goodness. Yeah. We see it in Atlanta, which is you know a little south of the district, but obviously people from the district mm-hmm. come in for work and recreation. We're seeing increases in crime really all across mm-hmm. America. What would be your position as a congressman on how to deal with it?
1: We have to, we, we've changed the whole narrative around accountability and who's responsible for crime that is committed. And and you and I both know, and I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you and I both know the the, the responsible party for a crime that is committed is the person who committed the crime. Absolutely. You know, and, but we have vilified police. You know, the the effort to defund the police didn't get traction. So they just made it almost impossible to be a police officer. You know, you, you, make, you make it such that, and at one point we entered this kind of phase in Iraq and Afghanistan under the Obama administration where the rules of engagement were so tight that soldiers were afraid to protect themselves and ended up getting hurt because they didn't wanna get prosecuted by their own government for what was not actually a war crime. And that seems like the position we're putting police in where they've got a second guess, all of their training, all of their instincts in the field, and they're gonna get hurt or
0: they're gonna leave the force. So they're leaving
1: the force, that's you know, an, and we need- that's a, very,
0: that's a very interesting analogy. Uh, to the to the middle east to our yeah. to our to the military in the middle east
1: and we've got to get back to common sense broken window style policing you know high crime areas don't need fewer cops they need more cops and and the 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 high propensity supposedly petty crime out there if you stop pursuing that and you stop prosecuting that and you stop arresting shoplifters you don't get less crime, you get more crime and you get escalation in the type of crime because it turns into a training ground for criminals. And if they can get away with you know, a, a, a certain level of crime, they advance and they graduate to more serious crimes. And so it's, it, it, it go, it's just such a, it's such a terrible thing and it, it, it's this culture of it's not my fault the the taking away responsibility it's it's sort of the ideology that critical race theory speaks to of this this cult of the victim and so you're not accountable for your actions it's 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 we need complete reform not in the police we need complete reform in the way we're raising people
0: in cities. Well, that provides a good transition to to the next topic, which is education. Um, welcome to talk about whatever whatever areas of education that that you want to focus on but I, I'd really like to at least that you would at least mention uh, critical race theory and I know you've done that to sort of throughout the throughout the interview but go ahead yeah and, and I also touched on the Department
1: of Education earlier I, I'd like to rehash that you know sure, this is a ahead.
0: situation where
1: big government is not the answer you know and, and Virginia voters proved in this this last cycle that parents believe they should have a say in their, edu- in their children's education. You know, the education is a local issue. Parents need to be involved. Local officials need to be involved. Local school board members need to be awake and paying attention to what's getting into the curriculum. We don't need the department of education period full stop. We don't need the department of education, but we don't need the department of education in concert with radical leftists in teachers unions shoehorning indoctrination ideology marxism critical race theory perverse agendas about human sexuality into children's learning and to to, like to really home in on critical race theory uh i've got a middle schooler who is brilliant and talented and is going to change the world. But right now she's a 13 year old in eighth grade. She's taken mostly ninth grade classes because again, she's brilliant. And her entire life in school, you know, she comes home and I, I, I ping her. What'd you learn today? What'd you learn today? And it was so I could quiz her on things and, and follow up and kind of rehash and make sure she was getting the most out of her education. But now that has transitioned into really me checking and getting ready to course correct. Uh, she came home the other day in social studies class. She had learned, and this was a
0: week block, a week long block of learning. I, they had been- Just interrupt for one second. Um, yes, sir. What, what, what? public school, private school? Public school, yeah. yeah. All, all three of my kids, uh, my, my, all three of my school age
1: kids are in actually three different public schools.
0: Okay, oh, that's busy.
1: Income. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a uh, we have a lot of life uh, in our house. Yeah. And uh, and so you know, ask her what she learned today, and she told me that they took uh, a voting test, a literacy test for the polls, and that's you know from the Jim Crow era. And I and I said, oh, like you know, and and so she talked me through some of the questions, you know, how many bubbles in a bar of soap, how you know different different things, you know, questions that were specifically designed to not let black voters vote decades ago.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Not now, decades ago. And that's a, that's a useful thing to understand. It's a useful thing to know happened in American history. I don't think we should bury that or hide from it. But is, that, is there any world in, a, in the finite amount of time that an eighth grader has to learn social studies, is that a week? Is that, a, is that a week's worth of learning in her georgia history class no absolutely not you know and so we talked about how the lesson was framed how it was brought up how it was taught and it was so transparently agenda driven to make sure that she was saddled at 13 with some sense of guilt about this, the fact that this had happened so we did some quick reprogramming, and we understood. You know, we flipped that on its head and 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 talked through the agenda and why somebody wants you to learn it this way and feel this way about it. And and, and I hope parents all over the district and all over the country are are having those conversations because they definitely need to be.
0: Well, that's a very good, very good lesson for all the all the parents out there. And they say that the the Zoom, while terrible for kids. Um, the the one benefit was that the the parents got to see what was being taught. Absolutely, and and yes, yes, and yes, it was terrible
1: for kids, and parents in the home got to overhear exactly what was happening in the classroom.
0: So, well, let's leave the domestic agenda and move more to foreign policy uh, issues, and the first would be immig- immigration and the border and the southern border. Um, your, your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Uh, to my knowledge,
1: I ha- am in the unique position in this race and probably a lot of other races. I have worked border security before. I have designed a border defense or co-design. I can't take full credit for it. But I have worked very closely in helping secure a very fraught and treacherous border. It, it did not happen to be America's southern border, which is obviously the one we're gonna talk about here. I worked on uh, the border between Turkey and Syria, really at the height of the Syrian civil war. When there were over a million refugees in Turkey, we were vetting them, we were trying to figure out who the bad guys were there. We were trying to, to, to funnel the people crossing the border into given sectors so that we could monitor who was coming and, and so forth. What? So I've got a pretty good sense of, yes, sir, what are you going to
0: say? I was just going to say, what what languages do you speak?
1: <laughs> I speak English and broken English. Uh, luckily, I was in Turkey working with the, the Turkish general staff and, and some of our other NATO partners who had plenty of Arabic linguists and, and we were in good shape there.
0: That's that's amazing. I didn't, didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, certainly. Absolutely.
1: So, so I have a, a, a really strong sense of the importance of a secure border and, and at least as importantly, what it takes to get there, you know, and, and what it takes to get there is obviously a whole lot more than Joe Biden is doing, you know, step one. And this is step one is you, you got to build a wall, you know, yeah, we have to have a physical impediment to people just walking freely across the border you can't have that you know it's there is a border it's a real border it needs to be represented by a a, a physical structure a wall Mm -hmm. now that again that's step one because people can go over a wall they can go under a wall they can go through a wall and and so that's step one to slowing down and then it's a tiered robust approach to border security, everything from high tech, remote sensors, automated drones in the air, you know, the whole shebang from that end all the way down the line to ICE agents on horseback patrolling, you know, high traffic or, or high density areas. It's, it's, it's dogs. It's the whole thing. It's dune buggies. It's, it's, it's a real, real problem. And it's not one that's unsolvable you know a a little over a year ago borders in pretty good shape and getting better all the time so so that's that's the the route to getting to fixing the border and the reasons we need to fix the border are innumerable and self-evident you know it's 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 employment issues it's people bringing disease across it's fentanyl it's crime it's gangs it's it's just having a functioning nation. Part of that is defined by borders, culture, borders, language. And so we've got to institute some sanity there on the southern border.
0: On the when you were deployed in Turkey, were was the US funding the building of a, a wall between Turkey and Syria? There was uh, there were structures in place. Uh, we weren't we weren't
1: funding the building of a the wall. There were structures in place. Uh, most of that was coming from either the Turkish budget or or NATO, which obviously the U.S. is about a, a quarter of that budget, I think now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so so there were efforts to construct various borders at various points. Uh, But again you know it was there were a lot of other factors in play monitoring folks coming across
0: well this is a good transition to our last topic which is which is foreign policy and what i wanted to talk about was it it made me think of the border between russia and ukraine and and our policies Mm -hmm. there so hoping you could talk about foreign policy i know with your your status as active reserve there's only so much that you can say but um if you could talk about China and Ukraine. I know you talked a little bit about Afghanistan at the top of the interview, um, but but I'll let you take it from there.
1: Sure, so I'll start with Ukraine because as, as an intelligence officer and, and having worked in Eastern Europe, there are areas of the Ukraine issue where I have to sort of tread lightly. But, uh, but, but ultimately, I'll, I'll kind of start with an anecdote. In 2014, I was in Poland uh, for a training exercise with the Poles, and, and that was in uh, in early 2014, February, early February, I believe. And uh, that was the day that the, the story broke about the little green men uh, jumping over the you know the water into Crimea and and Russia very quickly you know annexed Crimea within you know very short order. And and I was not so close to Ukraine, but I was close enough. uh, And I was the only American kind of in play. And so I got back to to Germany and and got back uh, to to relative safety pretty quickly. But but watching that episode play out in 2014, when Barack Obama was the president, and then watching four years of near absolute calm from the Russian— uh, leadership Putin and and so forth uh Putin's very ambitious Russian leadership is very ambitious Russia is ambitious to recapture the glory of the Soviet Empire but for four years with uh, a Republican president Donald Trump in office I didn't hear peep and I was listening and now here we are again with weakness in the White House weakness in the executive branch a, a, a an utter dearth of military leadership and vladimir putin is is feeling powerful again and feeling ambitious and so so irrespective of you know and this is another instance where i think smart people can disagree on what our role is in ukraine you know whether we should be involved whether we should stay out of it whether we should let you know nato proper take the lead or 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 however however that should go down the fact of the matter is, the reason we have a problem is because Joe Biden's weak, and and the whole world knows it. You know, at, during the Trump administration, folks, especially uh, on the left and in the media, liked to talk about Trump's uh, instability or that he, you know, he was erratic and nobody knew what he might do. Henry, Henry Kissinger actually put a lot of uh, stock in the madman theory. It's a good thing if, if your adversaries don't quite know how you'll react. You know, and, and way before Kissinger, I'm, a, I'm a, a student of history, 1517, Machiavelli wrote, a wise thing is occasionally to simulate madness. You know, if Vladimir Putin didn't know that we might wreck his whole world, he, he might not think we would, but he might not know we wouldn't. That puts us in a very advantageous position, but right now, what Vladimir Putin knows is that Joe
0: Biden's not going to
1: do anything.
0: Well, I think they said about about Reagan that they were, they, everyone was sort of scared of the cowboy. Yeah, know? and and
1: that's you know, and, and yeah, and there's a there's a a controlled rage or a controlled recklessness that when you're facing down someone like this, when you got to face down a bully like putin it helps if he's not sure how hard you'll really hit him and and it hurts if he knows that you won't hit him at all you know teddy roosevelt said it's a terrible thing to hit but if you have to hit hit hard because the worst thing is to hit weak
0: well it's it's we certainly hope that uh that 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 peace stays in that region it's just you know it's just there it's just a just a sad absolutely story.
1: and and yeah absolutely and that's in peace peace is a great word there and peace through strength is the key and right now we're not exhibiting it but i'm, I'm talking a lot about uh, ukraine and, and you definitely asked about afghanistan and china as well so uh i don't want to run off too long at those if you're uh
0: yeah if well, you're ready for me to skip we've covered afghanistan unless you want to talk about anything else um but in the spirit of the Olympic games, maybe we can talk about China a little bit.
1: Absolutely, yeah. The, the Olympics are a great jumping off point there. So, so China's the key threat that we face today. You know, as as, as as much of a problem as Russia presents, and Russia does present a problem And you know, the, the global war on terror that Joe Biden seems intent on reinvigorating uh, through disregard and negligence, but all of those things aside, China is the rising power in the world economically, militarily, on cyber comms, all around. China is, is who we are going to face off in the balance of the 21st century. And that's okay because they are transparently nefarious, but we don't seem to be doing anything about it. You know, China is it acts in bad faith consistently in trade. You know, they, they undermine us as a trade partner, they manipulate their currency, they steal intellectual property from us, they have no barriers there. And the United States government reacts to it typically by just sort of a wink and a nod and American businesses all too often, I'm looking at you LeBron James, just placate the whole thing, you know? I mean, for a few extra bucks, you know, LeBron James and the NBA, a group of people who have benefited from the capitalist system as much as any group of people, whether it's the owners or the players all around. And yet they are consistently tools of the Chinese Communist Party. And we shouldn't support them. They should have to pick. And and it's, you know, it's, it's a situation where we continue to uh, lose ground voluntarily to this rising power. And it's, it's reminiscent of Chamberlain and Britain just consistently ceding ground to appease the Germans throughout the 30s. And, and we know exactly how that worked out for everybody.
0: That, that is so interesting to say that, to point out that, that it's not that we don't see what's coming, we see what's coming, but we choose to ignore it. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, that concludes the, the first section of the interview. And in the second section, just want to talk about areas of your background that I that I found to be really interesting that I think others will as well. Um, and the first, the first thing that I wanted to talk about was, was your nonprofit that you work with. If you could talk about that a little bit.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, after I left investment banking and, and started looking for sort of that next chapter, you know, Ashley and I, we covered some of the businesses that, that we're involved in that we own. Uh, I found Ventures ATL, which is a, a nonprofit that creates jobs for adults in the autism spectrum. It's, it's an organization that, you know, we partner with corporate clients, mostly around Atlanta, to do data management projects that would typically otherwise get offshored India, Bangladesh, somewhere like that. And we keep them at home and we create an opportunity for a group of people who have a lot of talent and a lot of ability, especially in this data management uh, arena, but are, are generally kind of overlooked in the conventional labor market. So, so found that I have a son, uh, our middle child. Well, he was our middle child, but now we have four. Uh, but our, our son, Buddy, is, uh, is, is on the spectrum and developmentally delayed. And so, you know, being able to, to go in and create an opportunity for folks like that, who we love and we care about. And at this point, everybody loves somebody with autism. You know, everybody's got, if they don't have a child with autism, they've got an uncle or a nephew or, a, you know, a family friend who's on the spectrum. And so you know it, it it touches so many families, so many people, and to to get to help give folks a chance has been really one of the the blessings of my life to be a part of that. Yeah, and and over the course of over the course of the pandemic, we've managed to grow headcount, to employ more employ more people, bring on new clients, and and really grow that business so that you know more and more people are able to thrive. And our corporate clients, you know, the folks that we work with at these individual companies get exposure to a group of people who they might have previously viewed as disabled, but come out thinking, OK, this is real work. You know, they're, they're solving real business problems for us. They're doing real value add stuff. And so we're changing some perceptions along the way, which is which is pretty great.
0: Well, if people want to want to donate or if uh, corporate clients want to hire from, from from you guys, is there a website that they could go to?
1: Absolutely yeah. The, the website's venturesatl.com, and you know there's a there's write ups on you know our data management services and how to contact us. and we typically we act as a, a third party, so we contract with you know Company X and and work on their data management projects sort of it's outsourced the same as it would be if they had offshored it. And, uh, and, you know, there's a list of, of the clients that we've worked with on the website and, you know, anybody that goes to that is going to see some pretty impressive names, some pretty big names. So there's, there's a lot we can do.
0: Well, that's great. And I, I think the last question would be coming back to your, your, your status as a small business owner, owning uh, both a gym and a travel agency. Uh, what, what does, what was, what does that really prepare you for as you go to, as you go to Congress, being the person who, who signs the front of a paycheck, and has to, has yeah. to make sure everything is running, if you could correctly, if you talk about that a little bit.
1: Sure, yeah, that's a r- really good question. You know, I think we've gotten to a point where, where Washington, D.C. is full of career politicians full of aspiring career politicians. Um, There, there are lots of lawyers. There are lots of, you know, very knowledge centric people. Uh, We're pretty far from Main Street at that point, you know, and this is, I I, I think a really valuable break from moving from big business investment banking to being someone who's got to make payroll, you know, who's got to, who's got to interview prospective employees, who's got to, work with customers in the moment, and try to build something like that, you know, having having that perspective, I think will be really valuable in relating to constituents.
0: Okay, well, great. Well, I have just enjoyed this interview so much. Uh, If you could just let us, people know how, if you have any updates on the campaign, and how they can find out, found out more about your campaign.
1: Yeah, so the website is gatewoodforgeorgia.com. Uh, you can log on, you can sign up to volunteer, you can learn more about me. You can see pictures of uh, my family, uh, not inclusive of Naveen, uh, because we're still, uh, we're still, I think, not quite uploaded the, the family photos that include baby number four yet. Mm-hmm. But all the, you know, all the rest of the info's there, and, and that's where you know, people can hopefully get involved. Okay, any campaign events coming up? We do have uh, stuff coming up. I think the best way to learn about that is to sign up for emails because we're doing, you know, events in folks' homes and we're doing, you know, various things like that. And I'll be at a speaking engagement at, at, you know, whichever county. And so letting folks know about that stuff ahead of time will be via email.
0: Okay. Well, great. And I will put that in the website description And thank you again, and I look forward to speaking with everyone next time on Advancing the Agenda.